Sunday evenings with James O'Loughlin on ABC Local Radio. Yeah, good evening. Lovely to have you company. Uh, I've been away. I'm back. That's all that needs to be said, really. Uh, Jen Fleming filled in admirably. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sure, hopefully not too admirably. You, you always worried when you go on holidays. You, don't want, you want someone to fill in well, but not, you know, too well. You don't want their listeners to like them too much. Uh, but it's wonderful to be back. We've got a good show over the next hour and a half. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit later. Okay, so there was a story about an American senator who, sorry, a candidate for the Senate who thought his rival had been, who said that he thought his rival had been uh, had been replaced by a body double. That is, that his rival had been abducted and replaced by a body double. Now, that is a thing called a Capgra delusion. And we're going to find out what's going on with those delusions. And they're apparently real and lots of people have them. It's a well-known scientific phenomenon, thinking that someone you know has been replaced by a body double. It sounds bizarre, doesn't it? But we're going to find out what's going on. We'll have an episode of I Don't Get It, the first for... Uh, four weeks, I believe. So there's anything you don't get about anything. Uh, one I've got to start us off with tonight, and this will be in about an hour's time, is is uh, colours are colours. You can have brown hair, you can have red hair, you can have black hair, and you can have blonde hair, but you can't have blonde anything else. Anything else, any other time, blonde is yellow, right? You can't even, even a dog's hair is described as yellow, not blonde, I think. So I'm trying to... That's one of the things I don't get about the colour blonde. Why is it only applicable to human hair? We're going to try and work that out and anything you are confused about in this large world. In a few moments, we'll be joined by uh, advertising guru and consumer psychologist Adam Ferrier to answer this question. We know sex sells, right? We know that ads are inundated with images of handsome-looking people with aspirational bodies but why? Why does it sell? Why do we get hoodwinked by that all the time? And he will be joined by uh, uh, Professor Michael Gillings from the School of Biological Sciences at Macquarie University, who's coming a little bit early into studio, which is a special treat to talk about um, something else as well. G'day, Michael. G'day, James. Thank you very much for coming in. That's fine. In your hoodie. Oh, in my hoodie. Yes. <laughs> it looks good. You're down <laughs> down in your hoodie. Uh, we might uh, We might invite... Because there's only a little part of why you're here tonight. Adam Ferrier, consumer psychologist, advertising person, regular guest of the show, also joins us. G'day, Adam. G'day, guys. Yeah, I do think as the three of us, you have the deepest voice, though. Uh, so you're already <laughs> staking your claim as being the dominant male. Uh, thank you. Elizabeth Jolly said I have the voice of a murderer once. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's good. Uh, bad. Mm. Bad. Uh, bad. No, I think the, the, the theory that you can that you can identify uh, people with various criminal tendencies from their voice, that, that theory's been quite discredited over the last 100 years. I think I can say that confidently. So, uh, I did criminology. It uh, you know, used to be the size of your head or the shape of your head. If you had two lumps on the back of your head, you were supposed That's to be right. a criminal. So, Adam, you haven't met Michael before. You're both regular guests to the program. So um, I thought your... Your uh, Venn diagrams of expertise, Michael Evolutionary Biology, Adam Consumer Psychology and Advertising, would intersect beautifully, uh, it would probably in many, in many cases, but in particular in this. We all know sex sells, but why? So that is a 
that's what we're going to dis- that's what we're, we're going to discuss for the rest of this segment. Now, and Adam, you're probably the best person to introduce us to. You know, when you are working on a campaign, I would guess that the idea of bringing you know physical attractiveness to it, even if you're selling a watch or a hamburger, must come into the nuts and bolts of many, many, maybe even almost any campaign. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like a using sex in advertising is like using a grenade to go fishing or something. It's 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 there or thereabouts all the time. Yeah. However, it's um it's incredibly strong. It's incredibly powerful because well, we think, it's, but maybe Mike will be able to fill us in a little bit more why. But I think it's because of um our evolutionary desire to to mate and um yeah. and and so on, but. But the, what before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, it's not maybe it's not as powerful and all-consuming as one might think. Oh yeah. Uh, so there's if you think about three levels of sex use, there's kind of the inferred sexual imagery used in advertising. So a woman licking a chocolate bar seductively. Yeah. Or a man. Uh, or, or a man, but no, a woman. No. You don't. Well, you don't see men licking chocolate bars seductively. Well, why not? Because women well, would that's probably a, that, buy chocolate bars almost that's as a much diff- as men. That's a different question. That's getting to the ethics and, se- and innate sexism of advertising. But maybe you can touch on that. No, no. But I, I don't know if that is a question about sexism in the sense that advertisers will do whatever sells. Yep. Does it mean that sex sells? Well, <laughs> is the belief in advertising that sex sells better on men than it does on women? It's more effective on men. If you want to make something appeal to both sexes, you make it more uh, masculine. Women can buy into masculine concepts in advertising, but oh. men can't buy into feminine concepts. Really? Do you have a, yeah. uh, Mike, now, Michael Gillings? Would you have any any comment on why that might be a, the case and whether it holds water? I don't know. Well, I'd never really thought about it, mm. um, but um, I think to go back to the evolutionary principles of of why this might work, uh, I imagine that advertising, like the real world, the first thing you have to do is get attention. Yeah. So your primary sell is gaining attention. I'm paying attention to this ad. I'm looking at something. Yeah. And that when there's sexual imagery on the television or in a movie, we must pay attention to that. Because there's serious costs in not paying attention to those kinds of cues. Even though we know that these people are on the screen and we're never going to meet them and there's no opportunity to, to mate with them, we're so hardwired <laughs> to pay attention. Because co- what are the costs of not? Because the potential costs of not paying attention to those kinds of displays are genetic death, essentially. So uh, not mating with a person who looks like they have good genes. That, well, that's what we're hardwired yes, to do, is that right? that's what we're hardwired to do. Ah. To pay and, and so ignore, walking past the poster is essentially going against everything which says you must find someone who looks like they've got good genes and mate with them, yeah? Yes. Yeah. So now you know why you're doing it, Adam. Yeah, well, if, if advertising was that easy, it was just about um, getting people's attention, then, uh, you know... Baboons would be <laughs> doing the ads. I don't know why I said that, yeah. but 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 maybe they are. But um, 
the hard thing about advertising is getting your brand's message to be communicated within that attention-getting realm. Now, with sex, and because it's a grenade, because it's so powerful and so hardwired to pay attention to it, it's very, very difficult for your brand to be what's remembered as opposed to the sexy thing. So there is a saying that sex sells, but only if you're selling sex. Uh, (laughs) Right. Which which is, is, there's a lot of truth in that. So I, I was getting back to the other things. There's, there's, there's inferred sexual messages where it's used all the time. Obvious sexual imagery or even shocking sexual imagery is not actually used that much. No. So, so it's, it's the inferred and subtle stuff that's used a lot. Uh, you know, and, and when you say that, I mean, it, does that yep. go as far as, you know, an advertisement for a watch not being a picture of a watch but being a picture of a watch on either a man or woman's wrist who are very attractive that's inferred sexual imagery isn't it in the it, sense it, that, exactly right and yeah. it's, not, it's 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 sexual imagery enough to get people's attention but not too much that it vamps the brand yes and when we say vamp i think it's self-explanatory what we mean there but sucks the because it's a classy watch you don't yeah, want to be yeah you want to have someone who right. looks handsome but not you know well, well more importantly say, yeah more importantly be they male or female you want people to remember the watch and not the not the sexual bit of the ad, right? But you still want to play on the on the uh, viewer's mind with the sexual bit. As Michael said, you still want to get their attention. So yeah. this is this is what I was going to say: is that the the primary goal is getting attention. Yeah. The next is associating the product with the cues. So, um, as Adam was saying, you need to then somehow in the brain you need to make a connection between the product that is being sold and the cues that uh, drew your attention in the first place. Yep. And the other, the other interesting thing, um, and maybe Adam knows more about this than I do, is that anticipation, often people think that, that doing something gives you the reward, but actually the dopamine reward, the reward in the brain of neurotransmitters comes before you actually do something. So you get a dopamine reward because of anticipation. So I imagine that some of the secondary cell, which is associating the product with the cues and making a good feeling about that product as as being one that is is, um, advantageous to you, is a combination of of a kind of a Pavlov's dog thing. If you see sexual images or attractive images and you associate them often enough with a particular product, mm. when you see the product, you then associate that with with good things happening. And if it's associated with a dopamine reward at the same time, then that fixes it in your in your right. brain. I think, but but Adam? I don't know, Adam. What do you think? Yeah, I think you, I think you could be right if that's done through repetition of of the same piece of communications over and over again. If it every time you see it, it releases, and I don't know if this is right or if it's what you're saying, but it releases dopamine, and you you feel a sense of satisfaction watching that ad. For example, uh, Links's Links, the underarm deodorant's brand proposition, is gives you the edge in the mating game. So everything that brand does has to be about giving. The perceived giving you the perceived edge in the mating game, i.e., you'll get the girl. And every single time you see one of their pieces of communications, if that if the dorky looking guy gets the girl, then you feel a slight sense of reward or you feel slightly vindicated and the world's a little bit fairer or something. Yeah, yeah, 
So we're talking to uh, Adam Ferry, who you just heard, consumer psychologist, and Michael Gillings, evolutionary biologist, about about why and and how sex sells. Michael, you you've got some interesting observations about how in the the world of advertising, uh, the the physical parts of the human body that we find most attractive are emphasised. Well, I I want to ask Adam about this actually because I only know it kind of secondhand. So humans are primarily visual. Most of our gathering of information, most of our brain processing involves sight. And so what I say to my students is, think about this. Go outside, look 100 metres in the distance and fix on one person. What's the first thing you notice about them? The first thing you notice is their sex. Right. You can tell it from that distance. And there are, as, as you approach someone, there are other cues that we use to assess the fitness of someone or how attractive they are. And, and they're basically about genetic fitness, but we perceive them as being attractive. So faces, legs, eyes, lips, um, breasts, you know, general body shape, hair, health of the skin yeah. and those kinds of things. So what I wanted to ask Adam is is that... Some of those signals are very powerful and they're often, I've, I had heard, manipulated by advertisers. So you make people's pupils larger because dilated pupils are a signal of interest, uh, artificially lengthen models' legs, um, do things in in Photoshop to yeah, make they don't actually more make attractive. the legs longer. So they? They, no, they don't actually stretch their legs. <laughs> yeah. They just stretch the picture. We, yeah. we, is, would, is if, that, we would if we could. Yeah, we I'm would sure. if course you would. Yeah. So is that actually true, Adam, or not? Um, to, look, this is where it gets a little bit disappointing for everybody. The level of scientific knowledge uh, that's embedded in most advertising agencies is incredibly small. So if we did know that information, then I think there might be more use of it. Uh, but I don't think I actually don't think advertisers know that to take advantage of that. I think if they did know that, then they probably would. Uh, but well, but you I've know never, now. But I, but I've never I've never heard of I've never heard of pupils being uh, increased or. But I have you know in, in terms of a magazine and magazine publishers making legs longer and thighs less fat and. Um, uh, photoshopping, then, yeah, of course that happens all the time. But in terms of the, uh, in terms of having a really kind of good understanding scientifically of what people are attracted to or not, then I don't think I don't think they do. The one thing I do know about about that area is that we're more attracted to negative or or, or ugly features, and they're the things that stand out first, which I've always found kind of interesting. So, so you, you mean we focus in on a, a on, feature that we don't find attractive and that's, that's right. the thing that dominates our, our assessment Perception. of that Oh, person. right. That, that's right. And that's the thing we remember about that person. Okay. And, and how can you, you, you know, uh, how can advertisers use that piece of knowledge to their advantage? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. When, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, maybe, but, but I guess they're starting to use it by using what we call character actors by, mm. by people who are not quite as uh, good looking or who are quite weird looking in some particular way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I've, been, I've been thinking that this because sometimes if you see advertisements, they do use unattractive people, and I've been wondering whether or not that's to make us feel better about ourselves <laughs> yes. and and therefore uh, be more sympathetic to the 
to the product, perhaps? To, to, to tie this back to the sexual theme, mm. there's been a lot more, there's been a massive macro trend away from aspirational imagery to oh, imagery of, of acceptance in advertising. And the same thing's happening in TV shows. We're moving away from aspiration to reality TV and even arguably in uh, documentaries and, and things like that. So the brands are playing, if, if brands kind of promise to, that you'll be thinner, sexier and and all of those kind of things too overtly these days, then consumers seem to be calling them out. And so brands then have to kind of reflect who you are and say, you're okay just the way you are, a lot more than saying, buy me and you'll be automatically sexy. As a macro trend, and obviously there's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But would you say... So the macro trend is, if if the the premise of this discussion is sex sells, the, the macro trend is actually, yes, but less and less. Well, it's it's not as simple as that. The actual use of sexual imagery has increased threefold over the last twenty years. Oh, but may but maybe it's not high gloss, vampy kind of sex. Maybe it's um, I don't just know, vaguely you know. attractive people wearing watches. <laughs> That's right, or two normal people giving each other a kiss or something. Yeah. So, I, so, I, so I think those two things can coexist. That that sex is going up. But um, acceptance imagery, as opposed to aspirational imagery, is also going up. And it depends on the product too. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, uh, you know laundry detergent. Mm. Sex can probably I, not not used to sell that much. Can we get? Can I get complicated? Just do yeah, it. Get complicated. If, yeah. If a brand, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what you, you, what sort of show you think this is. This, you know, we I endeavour to get complicated. I just think getting complicated about brands it just does my head in. But right. Um, but if it, it depends on what the brand's emotional promise is. So you, if you had said to me, how could a deodorant tap into sex? You might think, God, that's a bit weird. But if your emotional promise of that deodorant is to give you the edge in the mating game, then that's all about sex. So if a deodorant yeah. wants to tap into an emotional promise some way that's about uh, – um, so if a washing powder wants to tap into an emotional promise that's about sex, then they could easily do it. So maybe the homemaker and the person coming home after that hard day's work uh, get it on because their clothes are so yeah. clean or something. Oh, I see. So soft and snuggly. That's yeah, yeah that that's kind of thing. Yeah, right. But yeah. and and Michael, your point that that I mean, is your your point that really the dominant urge running under all these rational, sensible going to work and you know sitting at a desk and or you know. Um, uh, being a tradesman or whatever you happen to be, the dominant motivator under all that is 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 mating, and advertising can tap into that. Okay, so it's it's not. I wouldn't call it the dominant urge, yeah. but there's a huge cost to ignoring the signals for sometimes there's a sometimes there's a huge cost to listening to them, and there's a there's a huge cost sometimes to noticing them too. Yes, what are you looking at, James? Yeah, yeah. stop that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I saw you. Yeah, but um, but but it's such a strong hardwired thing because there's such a serious cost to not paying attention for the species. Uh, you don't pass on your genes. The genes that are genes for not paying attention don't get passed on. Hmm. It's it's as simple as that, and so. It is hardwired into us. Uh, we ought to be able to transcend that. Well, that because this is the we point. understand it. Yeah. Uh, but whether or not we can successfully transcend it all the time 
is another thing. How good are we at transcending it? Well, I'll ask you both, but firstly you, Michael, how good are we at transcending it now? Well, I, not very good, I don't think. <laughs> Some, yeah. somebody, somebody said to me that uh, I reckon we're terrible at transcending it. It's a bit like breathing. You can concentrate on your breathing, mm. but it's very, very hard to pay attention to it for more than a, a second or two yeah. in a day. You, Agreed. You just go, it just goes along unconsciously all the time. Mm. And I think that's what it's a little bit about. I think even being aware of it, even the listeners now being aware of it, you're still going to be just as hooked in by the next sexual ad as you were before hearing this show. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, you, you, you Adam, when, when we have you on, you always have a little bit of, I mean, your mantra is if you are aware of this, you will be better able to resist it. But maybe this urge is too, too strong to even suggest that. Um, oh, I don't want to contradict myself. <laughs> oh no, I'm in a bind. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think I think there are some things we just have to uh, uh, that are greater powers than us, and I think our sexual urges and our need to reproduce the species and so on is is greater. It it, it is greater. And Michael, um, uh, you know that idea of, of transcending it. We, we'll, do you think it's humans? You know, continue to exist and and and. You know, we've really, um, what's the word? We're, we've, we're, the whole mating thing is now very different from the from what it was a million years ago. It's now much more socially, you know, mired in social mores. Well, that so so the 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 problem here is is how much of our evolutionary baggage do we still carry in the modern world? Indeed, and those pieces of baggage will eventually disappear. But it's been a very short time since they've become baggage, Mm. probably only two to 500 years. And so we are going to be stuck with this for a while. Eventually, though, we should be able to overcome this primary um, drive to reproduce, 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 because, in fact, that's the most important thing for us to do at the moment is not to reproduce. How long are we stuck with this emotional baggage for? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But are that's you thinking about changing it? your job? It's great. No, but, I love it. But that, and we've only got a minute left. But that's fascinating, isn't it? That as you say, our most important thing is not to do too much of it. Yeah. So we're really in conflict with ourselves. Yes. Oh, also, there's a disconnect between sexual activity and passing on genes now. So. Yeah, that's right. So we've stuffed that bit up too. Oh yeah. Boy, this sounds like a cliffhanger ending. We're a complicated species. We are, and good on us for being so. Thank you very much, Adam Ferrier. Cheers, mate. Good to talk to to you, consumer psychologist and Michael Gillings um, uh, from Macquarie University School of Biological Sciences. Thank you. Thank you very much, much. James.